0: This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a workspace designed for women and their advocates. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement and ambition.
1: When I'm working out, when I'm eating well, I see the world in such a different way. I think that's a small way of reclaiming a little bit of control over your life.
0: Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Lara Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Marissa Office. Marissa is an attorney and educator. After practicing as a litigator for over 10 years, she now runs the litigation training program at a Wall Street law firm. She's also an avid photographer and an unaccomplished, or so she claims, but enthusiastic writer. Marissa and I met through a mutual friend when I also lived in New York, and she was the first person he suggested when I asked who I should interview for the podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Marissa.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and I love that you have. I mean, you're you're actually quite an accomplished photographer. Maybe we can talk some more about that. So even if you think you're an unaccomplished writer, (laughs) you've got some other (laughs) other really interesting things going on outside of outside of work. So. So yeah, maybe it's well, we'll all on that. a
1: work in progress.
0: Yeah. Well, aren't we all for sure? Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Photography is one of those things that I actually had a pretty deep personal interest in. When I lived in New York, I took a bunch of photography classes at, um, at the new school and was like, and I still have like stacks of negatives, like black and white negatives from. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And I mean, like there's yeah. some good shots in there. One of these days, maybe I'll, I'll excavate them and actually get them printed. But
1: you um, should, you should. I mean, it just, um, as you know, just having a camera in your hand and walking through the streets of New York is just such, it, it's a, it, any city, really, any place, really. It's just, it, it's just such a different way of experiencing a place of, you know, paying attention to things, being mindful. I mean, it, it, it's really, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. I started meditating and photography around the same time. And I think they really fed into each other just as, you know, anyone who, has a camera in their hand knows. I mean, you just you just see the world in a very different way.
0: Totally, yeah. I remember reading that on your website, and actually, it's funny. That's how I started too. Like, I just I had bought a new camera. I don't even remember. I don't know, date myself too much, but it was a very long. It was probably <laughs> like in the early 2000s. I had bought a new camera, and yeah, I decided I was just going to carry it around the city with me, and. You know that's how it started, and um, yeah, it can be very meditative. Well, actually, let's talk about that. Like, like we'll talk about the work stuff in a minute, but let's talk about okay. how that because that sounds like it's become an interesting sort of self care practice for you. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know thinking about self care in in anticipation of our conversation, it really um, the idea of meditation to me was was almost a turning point in my journey of self care, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I would say that I started really meditating, getting into yoga, all about the same time in around two thousand nine, um, which is also when I started with the camera, and it was just really about um, maybe for the first time in my life, really just paying attention to what was going on inside of me. And, um, and that's, that's really where self-care has emanated from me. Um, mm. you know, prior to that, I think, you know, this, I mean, I, I, have this memory of, um, being in college at the student health care center and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it was like a routine checkup or something. And the nurse said something like, well, what do you do for self-care? And I was, truly baffled by the question like I really mm-hmm. I didn't know what self Kim and it just you know 18 year old me or however it was a at the time it just it didn't make a lot of sense to me and I was like well can you give me a couple examples and I think she said something like you know doing your nails or having a bubble bath mm-hmm. or something like that and that just really didn't resonate with me at all and you know through my 20s and um, you know, first moving to New York, and you know all the craziness that that entails, and starting a career, and then going to law school. And it was, it wasn't really about paying attention to what was going on with me. It was about okay, here are all these things that I want to accomplish, um, external to me. So now I'm just going to you know grit my teeth and 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 make those things and muscle my way into making those things happen, as opposed mm-hmm. to really sort of sitting there and figuring out like all right, does this feel right? Like what's, you know, what's going on with me? Is this the right thing to do right now? Um, and I think it was really meditation that, that helped me um, open the door to to that kind of thinking.
0: Well, yeah. And what was the, I'm sensing there might've been a turning point somewhere that, that where this became more of a focus, is that the case? And, and if so, what, what was it?
1: Yeah. um, So at that time, um, around 2009, I had um, been working. So I had gone to law school. I had worked for about three years, um, actually at the law firm where where I'm the litigation training manager right now. And um, then I had gone to another firm and worked there for about four years and was really working like crazy, like most lawyers do. I mean, just Mm -hmm. um, six, seven days a week, long days, late nights. And um, as a litigator, um, one of the more stressful components of it is just your schedule is out of your control. It's dictated by the court. It's dictated mm. by your client's needs. And so that, um, that combination of really um, seven years of, of, not continuous, but fairly continuous and somewhat erratic um, work stress. Um, so all that was, that was the background. And then in 2009, I had been married and my marriage was coming unbound at that time so that added another layer of stress and then about a year later um, my grandfather died and he was you kind know, of the linchpin of our family and mm-hmm. um, we had been sick for a long time but it was it was it was um, one of those kind of fundamental earth-shaking things and then a month later my stepfather died unexpectedly mm-hmm. um, so it was it was a lot in in a in a small amount of time, and um, I think, really, I was just grasping for something to help me, you know, make sense of everything. Yeah. And and that's what I landed on.
0: Wow! That gosh, that's that. I can't. I have no words. Clearly. Um, yeah. I mean, I can. But I, hold- but I think
1: everyone has that, like you know, something sure. like that that leads them to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I can totally see how meditation was what you what you landed on. So, so okay. So then, I'm curious about what you've noticed since there was obviously this pretty major catalyst. I mean, it was a, it was a series of different events, but they all happened around the same time that that had you turn towards self care in the form of meditation for you. What have you noticed since you've been practicing that about how it affects your life and your career?
1: Um, pretty much in every way, it's um, you know it was it was this small gradual changes, but just by sitting there and you know and 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 cutting out everything and all the noise around you and really just focusing on what's going on right now, um, you know at at the time in the midst of all the chaos that was my life, just sitting there and um, I I forget who it was. I was also doing a lot of reading at this time, but just that um, the, the guidance that everything is fine right now, like there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong right at this very moment. And, and, and when you're in moments of chaos, it's, I mean, you hold on to things moment by moment. And so that was, that was almost like, um, you know, a, a reassurance that I needed at that time. And then, you know, as things, um, kind of improved and, and, um, good things were happening then it just kind of became a way of being able to check in with myself and, and feel out at every stage is this is this the direction that I want to be going in? Am I doing things for the right reasons? What reasons am I doing are there for what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about doing? So it's it stayed with me in a way. And I've I've I don't mean to suggest that I'm I'm sitting with a regular meditation practice all the time. It's certainly mm-hmm. waxed and waned over the years. But the this the training and the, the view of, of coming back to this very moment and what's going on right now. I think that has stayed with me.
0: Well, and you talked about when we actually originally emailed about this interview, you talked about your story being uh, a good one about finding what's right for you. Do you feel like that self-care practice helped you do that? And can you tell a little bit more about that story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was integral to that. So again, around the same time of, um, you know, the the work and the divorce and, you know, what's going on with my family, um, I had been thinking for a long time about um, the practice of law and is this something that I really wanted to do. So um, usually at um, most law firms, um, around like your eighth or ninth year out of school, out of law school, um, they start talking to you about becoming a partner and what that entails. And typically what that entails is a shift from um, simply doing the work, which is not to say it's easy, but it's you you know, you have a defined task to a much broader set of responsibilities, which also includes bringing in business. Mm-hmm. So on top of doing in the work you're doing, it's also about bringing in business and, it was, it was really a moment where professionally, I was looking at my career and thinking, is this something that I really wanted to do? And I think the self-awareness that came with meditation and everything that was going on in my life, um, and of course, I think when you have major events in your life like divorce and death, it really um, forces a perspective um, in, in, in a wonderful way about seeing what's really important, what you really want, and, and the, the big picture mm-hmm. of life. And all of those factors led me to decide after seven years of practicing law that I did not want to practice law anymore. And, um, so basically I, um, put in my notice and, and people lawyers are a very risk averse crowd and they (laughs) they couldn't believe what I was doing. And I couldn't believe what I was doing. Um, but especially because I didn't have a plan, like I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but I, I came to this and it wasn't, you know, just some impetuous decision. It was something I had been thinking about and planning for about a year. But, mm-hmm. you know, I really, when I first started, um, or when I first started thinking about going to law school, um, I did it because it, I mean it, it was really around the time when everybody was still saying law school is an amazing platform. It can, you know, open all kinds of doors for you and you can do anything with a law degree, um, which is true. I mean, people... People are less apt to say that now, just because the the cost-benefit analysis of going to law school um, isn't as obviously mm-hmm. beneficial as it was back then. But at least back then, it was it was like a no-brainer. If you can get into if you can get into a good law school, you should go to a good law school. And at the time, I was a little bit uncertain. I didn't really I think I met you at that time, but mm-hmm. I didn't know really know what I was doing or what I wanted to do with my life. So I thought law school would buy me a couple years.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, and so and and so, fast forward to seven years later, and I'm thinking, okay, looking back, I made this decision about going to law school um, from a place of uncertainty and fear. So, if I was going to have a do-over, which is what I was looking at at the time, you know, what would I choose to do? You know, what would I do if I wasn't coming from a place of fear or uncertainty, mm-hmm. uh, but a place of of hope and aspiration and and that was, that was kind of the the thought process at the time. Um, so I left, I rented out my apartment and I started traveling. I traveled for about six months, um, got to go to Europe and the Caribbean and then Southeast Asia, um, was in a meditation retreat for a while in Cambodia, which was just incredible. And, um, yeah, it was just really kind of, um, Figuring out the next stage of my life and processing everything to where I'd been until that point and then looking forward um, to, to where I wanted to go. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that did not answer your question.
0: No, it totally but. did. It actually totally did. And I'm also just realizing as a side note that you and I have never compared notes on our travels in Southeast Asia because I had a, a similar sort of like sabbatical for just for like three months where I spent a good amount of time in, in Southeast Asia. Um,
1: oh yeah. No, 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 that was, that was about the same. Um, yeah. was, yes, we should absolutely do that and <laughs> talk about plans to go back.
0: You have big dreams. Through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, traveling solo to Tibet, starting your own business, running a marathon, nailing the presentation at the corporate retreat. But there's just one problem. You feel tired for no reason, lazy, lacking in confidence. Like your entire identity has changed over the past five, 10, 15 years. You used to be active, engaged, powerful, but those days are gone. Lost in the years you spent figuring out how to be a mom, how to rise to the top of your profession, how to be the best partner you can be to your spouse. In these 5, 10, 15 years, the only person not on your list was you. You've lost touch with the confident, active, powerful woman you remember being, and you're over it. That's why I created my free audio guide and online workshop to show you 3 surprising ways to reactivate the confident, healthy and powerful you so you can wake up with the power to take on your goals. To get your free copy, visit laradolch.com/free-guide. That's laradolch.com/free-guide you totally answered my question. I think, I think what I'm hearing is that that clarity, and this is something that I see with my clients a lot. In fact, I um, am working with a woman uh, in Seattle right now who, um, you know, just was in this, the best way I can think to describe it. And I think how she would describe it too, was in this sort of chaotic state, like, like mentally, not that there wasn't anything crazy going on, but she just felt there was no calm. Like she was just running, like her life, you know, was just moving forward at this pace. And she hadn't sort of, she thought she just had to keep doing that and 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 sort of part of our work together. I mean, of course it was, you know, talking about food and exercise and all that stuff, but that's what helps connect you to yourself. And, and this sort of bring you back to this sense of calm so that you can take, you know, that perspective and make the best decision. And she is now thinking that, yes, she may not want to continue what she wants, you know, what she's been doing professionally and that sort of thing. And so that's what I'm hearing from you is that over that period of time, the ability to sort of tune into yourself via this mm-hmm. self-care practice gave you the the strength and clarity to make those decisions.
1: Absolutely. And um, I think you, you make a great point in what you're saying, which is also sometimes you just need time and space to think about things like when you're running a hundred miles an hour, you know, 24 seven, like your perspective on things changes. I mean, then it's about momentum and it's about um, just going, going, going. And, but when you really have the luxury, which it really is a luxury to, to have the time and space to just check in and really think about what you're doing and why, um, I think things can look, look pretty different. And I think that was one of the The hardest things for me personally about being a lawyer was was really finding the balance between my professional life and everything else in my life. And Mm -hmm. um, because of court imposed deadlines or because of emergencies with clients, it was always easier and professionally more responsible to put work first all the time. And Mm -hmm. I honestly think that the best lawyers do that. Um, they are also able to find time in their lives for other things too. But um, listen, if I was going to hire a lawyer, I'd want the lawyer who put me first, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's how yeah, most sure. clients feel.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a very good point. Actually, <laughs> it's sort of like <laughs> it's the same thing as like finding a doctor. Like you, you would like a doctor who is focused on you, as at least in, in the time that they're they're spending with you, and. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting though. I, so yes, I think you're absolutely right that in, in many respects, being able to take a step back is a luxury. And, and certainly you and I had experiences that many, you know, would not be able to do like just in terms of traveling and literally stepping back from our lives. So right. while that right. is a luxury, I'm curious, you know, since many people don't have the opportunity to do that, what would you say to someone who can't do that? But is in this sort of turning point, whether it's, you know, uh, you know someone from your field or I don't know, just in general, what would you say from your experience that they could do in the midst of all of that and still get that perspective if that makes sense?
1: It does. And it, it, that's it's really hard. I mean, I, I don't think I figured that out at least when I was in the height of my um, intensity at work. I don't I, I didn't feel that there was a way. That I could carve that out for myself. I think Mm -hmm. now being a little bit older, a little bit more mature, hopefully, um, (laughs) I think certainly um, just understanding the imperative of having other things in your life other than work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we haven't talked about exercise, but to me, that is a really crucial part of self care. And that if if there were some non-negotiables in life, um, you know, in your professional life and trying to figure out the balance, I really think that exercise and, and eating well, it has to start from there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I was talking about in terms of having time to yourself to be able to figure things out, I also, um, and, and shift your perspective on things. I found for myself, when I'm healthy, when I'm, when I'm working out, when I'm eating well, I see the world in such a different way. Mm. So, you know, that's also something that can really fall by the wayside when things are chaotic. But um, I think that's a small way of reclaiming a little bit of control over your life is is really taking care of yourself in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And actually one of my guests from last season, Jessica Williams and I were talking about the fact that, you know, really um, she she has her own business and, and she was sort of just talking about the fact that those things are now part of her work. She considers exercise and eating well and taking time out to do those things as part of her work because it supports her ability to do everything else. And I think that's a great reframe for everyone, whether they're entrepreneurs or working in a corporate space.
1: Definitely. And I'm by no means a football fan, but I've read about like Tom Brady's diet. And I mean, it is an incredibly, I mean, I'm sure his his workout regime is too, but his diet is incredibly precise. And he attributes his ability to keep playing football um, in large part to that. I don't. I guess he's old for a football player. I don't know. I'm, now I'm going way far <laughs> afield but
0: I should be talking. No, about. <laughs> and it's so funny that you should bring out Tom Brady. I'm going to offend some Patriots fans here, but I just I do not like Tom Brady. I've yeah. Anyway, but well, that aside, that aside, um, you know, yeah. I mean, and obviously, he's got a a career that's entirely predicated on his you know physical ability. And I think that that often I see women, and maybe you can speak to this. Like, forget that even if you're not. You know, an athlete—that your um, physical well-being is part of your work and 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 part of your success.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, at least you know, just as simple as you know, maintaining even blood sugar levels throughout the day. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that you know, if I go too long without eating, I become a very different person than um, if I don't. And and likewise, like if I. I'm having like a sugar crash because I ate something sweet in the middle of the day. Like I'm not going to be performing optimally. I mean, I think obviously Tom Brady needs to eat for fuel, but I think in people in any profession do. So I was saying that if I, um, you know, eat something sweet in the morning and I sugar crash, like I'm not going to be effective that afternoon. Or where if I forget to eat and you know, it's been a number of hours, I'm going to start getting pretty cranky. And that's also not pretty effective, not effective at all uh, for my job. So it's, food is a drug. And um, what you put in, to me at least, has immediate results. And to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, I didn't Put those two things together until I really started paying attention um, to myself and to what was going on. Like, there was, yes. you know, whatever I ate had nothing to do with how I was feeling, um, as far as I was concerned.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very common. It's it, that's one of the big, big things that I work with clients on is is making that connection. Because you're right. I think most people have lost it, have come, lo- or, or never had that connection, never made that connection. And it's not something that necessarily comes naturally. You know, it's something that you have to learn. And a lot of the exercises that I leave clients through art, art, you know, in service to developing the ability to tune in and notice exactly how these foods are affecting you to your point. Um, and your mindfulness practice, your meditation practice allowed you to, you know, probably start to do that a little bit.
1: Oh, definitely. And just as you, you're saying this, I'm thinking of um, a retreat that I was on where uh, actually some, most of the retreats that I've been on, the, the meals are in silence. And mm-hmm. it's just incredible how much more, satiated you are when yeah. you've been paying attention to every bite. Um, you know, I was at a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh and then the guidance there was do not pick up your spoon until you're completely finished with the bite that you're chewing." And even that feels so strange. I mean, the way that we, so we eat now, whether it's you know eating a salad at lunch at your desk while you're continuing to work. I mean, it's like the opposite of mindfulness. Which, of course, I do, but it's um, <laughs> it, it, at least I have the training to know that I should not be doing that. Right.
0: Totally. Time. Totally. No. I mean, gosh, I I have caught myself doing that too. And you know, I I actually one of the things that that um, I have found really helpful personally, and that I have asked a number of clients to over the years, is is yeah, to basically just when you eat, eat at a table. That's it. It's as simple as yeah. that. You can't eat unless you're at the table. <laughs> and that's yes, my, yes. most of the time, that's my rule for myself. It slips occasionally and I find myself, you know, eating something on the couch, you know, watching TV and I'm like, oh no, it's time to, time to get that rule back in place. No, it's a,
1: it's a great rule and I, I might have to work that into my routine
0: too. So. Yeah. Well, and it's great too, because you can really make a, a sort of a, um, a ceremony of it. I mean, I you know, I also uh, a friend of mine was laughing because I bring out you know cloth. Uh, what do you call them? Placemats and napkins, uh-huh. even if it's just me eating. Because I'm like, but this is like a you know, it's I'm eating. It's a special thing. <laughs> so, oh yeah, of course. So that can be really lovely, lovely too, is to make more of a of a ritual of it. Um, no, actually, absolutely.
1: and with cooking too, it's, yes. you know, I, um, you know, I love to cook and just that I find that if I'm eating something that I've taken care with to make it's it's just such a different experience than, you know, if I'm just, you know, eating a, a energy bar on the go or something like that, which I, you know, it, it's it's not even an experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Actually, speaking of rituals, this reminds me of one of my favorite questions. Do you have a sort of a morning ritual that includes some kind of self-care? Um,
1: I would say, um, nothing on a regular basis. I would say every week I try to do some sort of yoga or Pilates in the morning just to get moving. Um, it's, uh, I would, so my my balance is over the course of a week, I would say. So some people have to have like a balanced life within the course of a day. Some people, you know, they can work six months straight and then take three months off and that's their balance over the course of a year. And I find that like my balance is over a week. So if I get, you know, a certain amount of time being outdoors in a week, if I get a certain amount of time doing yoga and pilates like in the mornings or, or doing weights at the gym, like all over the course of a week, if it all gets in, then I feel good and feel balanced. So that's, I guess that's as close to a ritual as I get.
0: Yeah. I love that idea. Actually, I had never thought about that as far as the idea of balance and changing the sort of time horizon um, for, yeah. So say more about that, actually. I love that idea.
1: Oh yeah, it's um you know is this one of the wonderful things about my new career, um, which is teaching lawyers, is that it it definitely the the um, the hours and the the schedule through the course of the year is much more predictable. It, it it doesn't follow an academic year, but there are certainly events of when new associates start, when the summer interns come, and, and so on. So it's a lot more predictable, and then around that, then I can figure out okay what do I want to accomplish outside of work at this time. So, you know, around the the busiest points of the year, um, which could be in November or at the beginning of the summer, I'm not going to hold myself to a schedule of working out six days a week. Like, I I just can't do that. And so to add, you know, the self-flagellation on top of, you know, not having time to do that, then that, that, that doesn't serve anyone. Um, at least it's all me, but, uh, (laughs) you know, at other times of the year, I can do six days a week because it's quieter or, you know, the, the sun's out at six in the morning. So it's actually, you know, feasible to get out of bed, um, before work. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it really depends on the time of year, but overall it's, it's figuring out, um, what I need to feel like good and to feel like a human being, like to feel alive, basically. And so a lot of that is professional, you know, professionally related feeling like I'm contributing in that way. But a lot of it is not related to work. So it's either exercise or cooking or developing um, new friendships and and um, taking care of the old ones. and and um, yeah, just just all of those things, and of course we haven't talked about it, is creativity. I mean, that was something yeah. that, often fell by the wayside when I was working so much and, and working such crazy hours. And now that I have time to pursue that, it's it feels like there's a part of me that, that really um, had needed that for a long time. So again, back to paying attention and, and figuring out what you need and, and how to get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and to your point, this has become a theme in my conversations on the podcast, which is you know, yes, tuning in is the beginning of it. And then also recognizing that wellness and self-care is going to mean something different at different times, depending on a lot of different parameters, what's going on around you, the time of year, you know, what's happening in your professional life, all those things, and and being able to give yourself the grace to adjust rather than, you know, sticking to this, trying to stick to a rigid schedule and then feeling bad when you don't.
1: Wow. Well, that was beautifully said. I, I couldn't agree more with all of that.
0: <laughs> You're like yes that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what you said. Well, and I and I I have had I mean again I've had so many um guests echo that. So I think that that's that's something to really um to internalize that that many many uh well, I'll call high achieving women have a, sort of a hard time um wrapping their head around. So, what's next for you, Marissa? What are you excited about right now?
1: Um, well, professionally, um, we are looking at um, uh, we we work months in advance. So right now, we're looking at um, developing curriculum, new curriculum, um, figuring out ways to teach um, very motivated, highly intelligent, but very busy people how to keep them engaged, how to keep them excited, and and help them become better lawyers faster. That's mm. that's our mandate, and so that's been a really creative, fun exercise um, to, you know, right now we have sort of a blank canvas and and really trying to think about um, how to use technology, um, how to use the unique skill sets and interests of millennials and and really trying to figure out how to tie that into classic uh, legal training. Hmm. That's on the professional side. Um, On the creative side, just more photography, more writing um, in the past, those have been separate endeavors for me. So Mm -hmm. I've I've written, I've done photography. And so this year I'm looking to do a project that incorporates both of those together and figuring out how they can complement each other. Um, And so I don't know, we'll see where that goes. We'll have to talk again in in a year to see what happens.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Where can people learn more about you and your work in the meantime?
1: Um, well, I have a website. It needs a little bit of updating, but it's, it's just marissaoffice.com. So, so that's a start. I am very active on Instagram. So um, there's a link to my Instagram uh, page on my website, too. So that's, that's a good idea, or gives a good idea of, of what I'm doing on a week-to-week basis.
0: Yeah. And I'll put those in the, in the show notes. And I, I have to tell you, I love the, um the photograph of the radio flyer tricycle that's on your homepage. Oh. It's such <laughs> a you. perfect New York shot. It's like, it made me homesick for New York just a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. And just when you see things like that, it just makes you so happy, especially when you have a camera with you. When you see things like that and you don't have a camera with you, then you just, you know, kick yourself.
0: Kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. Thank (laughs) you so much for your time, Rosa. This was so great. And uh, I I really appreciate it. Oh, it was wonderful talking to you, Laura. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolchcom slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store or in Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many women on the rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a women forward workspace designed for community work and wellness, not just a desk and a co-working space. The Riveter is a transformative movement for all women and their advocates to invite ambition. The Riveter provides the support resources and amenities to build successful businesses. Their members are entrepreneurs, remote workers, consultants, and everyone in between. They even have a community membership plan that provides access to professional development and fitness programming without the desk. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle's Capitol Hill and Fremont neighborhoods. And the third location will open this year in LA. If you're interested, visit info.theriveter.co that's C O slash women on the rise for a special offer for women on the rise listeners. That's info.theriveter.co slash women on the rise.